0: G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to episode 5 of series 7 of This Week in Startups Australia. Scaling is the hardest task facing a startup entrepreneur. Harder than getting started. Harder than getting to an MVP. Harder than getting investment. Scaling is hard. But there are any number of startups who have scaled successfully, including a few who have already been on Twista, such as Canva, Envato, Catapult, and Airtasker. What can we learn from their successes in scaling? That's our theme for Series 7. Now, before scale... An entrepreneur has to find product-market fit. Is what they're doing worth doing at all? Now, most entrepreneurs will start out with an idea, but few ideas survive the encounter with real customers. On this show, we'll speak with two talented young entrepreneurs who have spent the last 18 months building their way into an understanding of their product, their market, and their business. Along the way, they learned how to let go, how to pivot, how to move on. They've got a lot to teach us about how to get a business in position to scale, and they're sharing what they've learned on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Are you a small business looking to streamline costs on shipping and postage? Simplify and save with Send Pro Plus from Pitney Bowes and receive a $200 credit toward your parcel shipping costs. Terms and conditions apply. Visit them online at slash au slash twista. This week in Startups Australia is also proudly sponsored by Launch Sydney. In June 2019, Launch returns to Sydney to host their second festival and they're giving away the first 1000 tickets for free to founders. Get yours at launchfestival sydney.com/founderspass. start of 2018, I accepted a role as entrepreneur in residence at Sydney University's Incubate Program. Now, that was a great opportunity to work with early-stage startups on a recurring basis. So I would check in with them weekly and chart their progress as they worked to define a product, to engage potential customers, to find product market fit, and then prepare their businesses for investment because we had a big pitching competition at the end. I learned a lot through this process, uh, probably as much as the founders did. One of the best things about being at Incubate was getting to work with Daniel Palmer and Eddie Wang, the co founders of TribeFire. I'll let them explain what TribeFire is, what it does. But before that, what I want to do is I want to share a story. And I would be meeting with them every week. And so at the third or fourth meeting, we sat down discussing how to improve their sales conversion rate. So, that once people gone onto their website, how would you get them to commit to a purchase? And we came up with a couple of different ideas. We just sort of brainstorming. The next week's meeting, they had implemented the ideas, and they had some hard data on which ideas worked and which didn't. And that impressed me because it made it clear that Daniel and Eddie were taking. Every opportunity to learn and improve their business. And that's actually what an entrepreneur in residence likes to see that they're eager, they're able, and they're teachable. So it's my great pleasure to welcome Daniel Palmer and Eddie Wang to This Week in Startups Australia. Welcome, guys. Thanks
1: Thanks. for having us. (laughs) Pleasure to be here. We're not worthy, but <laughs> hopefully we can provide some value.
0: So, on the topic of modest beginnings, you you started something before Incubate. You started Tribe Fire before Incubate. What was that thing that you came into Incubate with?
2: Um, well, first off, Dan and I are cousins, so you know we grew up pretty much like brothers, and you know we always worked on these little projects together. You know, whether it was with you know games we were playing or um, whatever sports we were doing, and so it kind of worked off the back of that and it was gradually built up Uh, from that.
1: Yeah, I mean, so we used to play soccer together really competitively um, and then out of high school into uni, we started playing with our mates, playing in more social competitions and that's when we realised that a lot of social sports competitions around uh, Sydney and presumably worldwide were really poorly organised. They didn't utilise technology effectively. So we really wanted to build a software platform that helped social sports leagues run more effective tech driven campaigns and it's quite funny to think about that's where we started
0: okay but this is but let's put a stake in the ground that is product number one you think you've identified a market you think you've identified a product so that's product one number one i mean but i think that's fine so is that what you came in to incubate with with this idea that you really wanted to produce this framework for social sports
1: yeah, so we, we, that's what we pitched to get into Incubate. Um, and I remember when we first met you, you were sitting on the couch sort of like staring at us very skeptically <laughs> about this idea. Uh, but we, we were passionate about it at the time. But I guess sort of key to our journey is the fact that while we were doing this, um, we were doing something else to make money on the side while we are trying to build this software platform. Um, and that is we were helping... Social sports teams buy merchandise.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Eddie and I, so
0: team jerseys and things like this. Exactly,
1: yeah. So, so Eddie and I, we, you know, we're young. We, we by by like building software, uh, we were sacrificing working at you know a cafe or actually earning some money. Mm-hmm. So we've always been like really focused on how can we be generating revenue while we're doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, when at the time we entered incubate, we were also selling. Merchandise to the social sports teams that we we're trying to build software for, and I think that also was sort of quarter what we pitched to incubate was the fact that we'd already monetized our market in some way, and I think that's why james who who runs incubate was interested yeah,
0: James Alexander we've had him on the show right, okay, all right, so you enter incubate and you're now in this very intense twelve week learning period. You came in with one vision for what you were doing, which was sort of all of the team stuff. And that changed as you learned more, right, as we sent you out to sort of do your your customer interviews and your product market fit. How did that idea evolve?
1: Well, one of the best things that Incubate does for any founder that goes into it, and definitely the the thing that resounds with us to this day, is that you've got to speak to the market mm. as quickly and as effectively as possible. So when we got into Incubate, we were encouraged to get on the phone, talk to who we thought our customers were, do customer development. Um, And so we did that for the first...
0: And I remember being in one of those meetings where you're going through it and they're like, yeah, they do all this stuff on paper and they kind of don't want to use a computer for it because they think they're going to lose their job if they have a computer coming into
1: it. right?" Well, well, that's that's what we started to realize.
2: Yeah, like um, a lot of these sports organizations are run quite archaically, you know. They've always worked off this system. They don't really want to evolve off of that. And um, it, it's it sort of became apparent that they didn't want to evolve
1: from that either. From talking to, you know, we must have talked to like a 100 different league organisers over a, a period of a couple of weeks. Mm. And we were pretty astounded that a lot of them recognised that they could be doing better, but almost none of them were interested In what (laughs)
0: we'll sort of suggest. They kind of thought they wanted to do better, but when you said, well, we have this tool that will help you do better, they're like, no, man, I don't want that.
1: Exactly. They'll, they'll stuck in their ways and they'll, like, no one has stopped playing social sports. Right. It's, it's. So,
0: but this is something that entrepreneurs encounter a lot, which is that they find the better mousetrap, they introduce it to the market, and the market's like, yeah, I know I said I wanted a better mousetrap, but you know what? I really don't. So that forces you to then start to rethink what you're going to do as a business. How did you start to go, okay, we've hit a brick wall here just because, not because it's a bad idea, but because customers don't want it.
1: It was really hard because I remember we we applied for Incubate and there was like this three-month period between applying, getting in, and sort of starting the program. In that period, I like taught myself how to code and lived in the darkness of my bedroom for three months building this software and then to get into Incubate and just have this sort of just resounding failure when talking to customers was something that was really hard initially to, to overcome. But it it forced us to to reconsider, you know, what we were doing that actually provided value, mm-hmm. what were little things that we were doing within the bigger goal we had, that people actually resonated with, and I think, like speaking to you, Mark, I remember at the time helped us work through this, uh, like this thought process. Um, and what we realized is that throughout this whole period, we'd been selling merchandise,
0: and quite a bit of it, if I recall correctly, a couple, at least a couple thousand dollars a week.
1: Yeah, so we were we were doing all right for like our position as two students who were mainly focused on one thing, but had this sort of side mm. project that was just making money, and. It just became more and more clear that well, look, it wasn't what we originally intended, um, but it became clear that that was maybe the actual opportunity that we'd unearthed throughout that process of customer development, and and I guess key to that was putting something in the market. And learning from more than just even phone calls, but actually having something in the market and seeing what stuck and what didn't stick.
0: And I remember because this was literally the meeting where I said, well, you could do blah, blah, blah. And then you came back the next week and said, oh, here's a little store. It's set up and here we'll design a shirt. And we did, we designed a jersey and I was just, I was tickled because I was like, that's exact, this is exactly right. Um, And then you put that out there and then how did that, so you have this idea that you've pivoted from sort of something that's helping the team managers manage the teams to now that's that's merchandise for the teams themselves. You build the site, you you hang your shopfront. So now what happens?
2: Yeah, so as we started to focus more on the merchandise side of things, we started to um, f- focus on how we can make the whole experience of ordering on-demand sports gear as easy and simple as possible. So that's when we had to start figuring out um, more of the whole supply chain behind that as well. And from that, I guess, um, there came a lot of <laughs> issues that we had to deal with as well. Which well,
0: And, and I remember you used to have this great big spreadsheet going, which would sort of have all your open orders on it, and it was basically falling on you to make sure that there was all of that fulfillment going on, Right.
2: Yeah. So at the start, we the amount of orders we were getting in were um, quite manageable at the time. So it was a fair bit of manual work in terms of you know getting all those orders fulfilled um, mm-hmm. by ourselves. So we didn't really have the systems in place at that point to you know really automate that and effectively manage the whole thing.
1: I, I think what this what that experience spoke to is the fact that for most of our journey running Fire so far we've we've never really like realized upfront what the full package that we need to build is mm-hmm. um, and we we've sort of listened to little kernels of what we've been we're being told by the market and we've pursued that and that's actually caused a lot of friction along the way because if we came into merchandise knowing that you know exactly what we wanted our product to look like like what all of the steps that needed to be done um, it would probably be been a much less stressful period pursuing the the idea of automating sports merchandise, mm-hmm. but we would have moved a lot more slowly. So it's sort of like a trade-off. You would have been
0: much more methodical about covering all of your bases, right? Rather than being sort of nimble and trying a lot of stuff and finding out whether it works.
1: Mm-hmm. So so there's a big trade-off there yeah. where if we look back in hindsight, well, of course we would have, you know, not had Eddie running off a spreadsheet for so long.
0: But- <laughs> although. As someone who ran a hardware business off a spreadsheet with all of the, I think that almost all small businesses start with that because yeah. it's the tool that you got, right? As opposed to the tool you need.
1: Exactly. I, I think that just speaks to the, the concept that it's very hard to know what the the full package is mm. before you've done anything. Mm-hmm. And even though it's, there's always going to be a time where you, you'd probably look back and wish that you did something differently in hindsight, like- All you can really do in the moment is just listen and and react as quickly and take the first couple of steps and and, and try and figure out how to scale that when that time comes rather than from the beginning.
2: Yeah, because at that point, I guess we didn't, that wasn't really a concern to us, all that, all those, the fact that we're working off a spreadsheet. I mean, we were just solely focused on getting as many customers on board as we could at that point.
0: Right. And you were doing well. You had sort of 10, 20K weeks in there, I remember, right? You had some very good cash flow weeks. I mean, at the demo day, you were the stars in terms of how we have real revenue and all of this stuff is going on.
1: Yeah. And, and what we realized is, is that there was a business model that stood out to us eventually. So initially, the innovation we had was how do we help people order fully personalized sports merchandise on demand and deliver it anywhere in the world? And what we figured out throughout Incubate and and leading into Collider up in Brisbane was the fact, was what business model worked best around that. And what we learned was the best business model was helping uh, teams of different varieties set up a storefront where their members could then buy merchandise from. And towards the end of Incubate, we figured that out and had some really good weeks based off that.
0: Okay. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about going into Kaleida and then how that started to reveal another aspect of Tribe Fire. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia, and we will be right back. Are you a small business or small e-tailer looking for better ways to streamline costs and improve efficiency? Introducing Send Pro Plus from Pitney Bowes, the complete office sending solution that makes it easy for small businesses and e-tailers to consistently choose the right sending options for each parcel or letter. Send Pro Plus provides shipping options and prices, prints labels, and tracks parcels. An integrated accurate scale helps assign the correct parcel label or postage. Send Pro Plus makes sending simple with automatic rate updates and a shared address book across available carriers. Pitney Bowes brings shipping, mailing, and tracking capabilities to businesses looking to simplify their shipping and mailing while reducing costs. Simplify and save with Send Pro Plus today and receive a $200 credit toward your parcel shipping costs. Terms and conditions apply. To learn more, visit slash au slash twista. Welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia. It's the pivotal journey of Daniel Palmer and Eddie Wang, the co-founders of DriveFire. All right. So here you are. You've made it to the end of Incubate. You've got a successful-ish merchandise, sports merchandise for teams business. And now you make the decision to go from an incubator into the Collider Accelerator. What possessed you to go basically from one program into another?
1: Uh, Well, as I, as I mentioned, like we'd gone, we'd had such a rapid transformation of like a learning period in Incubate where we'd gone from this sports software league to figuring out the logistics of merchandise and starting to figure out a business model. And it was very clear that there was still a lot of that learning process to continue. Mm. Um, it definitely didn't feel like, oh, look, we went through one program and now we know what to do and we're off in the world. Uh, I think that might have been particularly true, seeing that Eddie and I were uh, young, uh, relatively young, and we, we don't have business experience, so we knew there was a lot more to learn. And we felt like we were, we were still at like the very beginning of an idea that had a lot to be fleshed out, and we wanted to go into another program where we could take the next stage of fleshing that out.
0: Okay. All right. So you come into this program with this idea that you're going to have a merchandise business. And the program goes along and I actually come up to do a visiting mentor thing at Collider and I sit down with you guys and then you say, oh, this this is what we're doing now and actually what you're doing has started to migrate. So what's happened over the course of Collider that's caused you to sort of revisit the idea that maybe you don't want to be in merchandise in the same way?
1: Well, I would say there were two core factors that happened. The the first factor was Alan Jones, um, who was the entrepreneur in residence in Collider, and I'm sure many of your listeners know Alan. A really he's s- he's
0: been a best guest on the show, so yes. There
1: you go. A really insightful, kind, but can be cutting edge uh, of a man when he, when he needs to be. And when we got up there, he really helped. He was very brutal in the first week. I remember specifically about. Like sort of making us acknowledge the fact that we weren't entirely focused on a specific um, problem I would say we were we were so um, sort of entrapped in this world of of pinballing around mm. between different ideas and different kernels of knowledge from the, the the customers we were working with that we hadn't focused on what the root problem we were trying to address was
0: and so did he help you identify what that root problem was?
1: He, he was very insightful. Now, I feel like he, had, he looked at our company and saw what the root problem was and sort of pushed us in the right direction, right. which is something that we needed because we were so int- caught up in, in what we were doing before. Um, but it, was, you know, it was something that deep down we knew all the time, which is uh, around the time we came into Collider, we had stumbled upon s- something really interesting, which I guess I should bring up is in the fact that we were approached by a gaming YouTuber, in particular a FIFA YouTuber, who wanted to use our sort of sports merchandise logistics supply chain we'd created to sell sports merch on demand to his fan base.
0: Okay, so now let's unroll this for someone who might not understand what you mean. Someone who's playing the FIFA video game mm-hmm. and streaming that live on YouTube and has many people watching them as they play.
1: Exactly. Uh, so a huge audience base, and they had the rather smart idea of... of, of um,
0: Basically building a team out of it,
1: right? Exactly. Okay. And, and and what we were doing was selling sports merchandise, which is very different to what most YouTubers sell, which is very commoditized t-shirts with logos, mugs, stuff that doesn't inspire the same sort of sense of team mm-hmm. and sense of community that sports merchandise does. So this happened right towards the end of Incubate as we were going up to Collider, and that was our... That changed everything. It was by far our most successful campaign. We really tapped into a community that we hadn't fully considered before, but you could tell that they responded so well to this idea of building an online community, like a passionate team online.
0: Because they were already online. It's not just like a, a soccer team who's playing on a field in the real world, but these people were already there. They were already ready for you And
1: Ex- exactly. And 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 Eddie and I instantly related to this because – we grew up making YouTube channels and building online gaming blogs, and some of that stuff is still out there and deeply embarrassing, and I've hidden it enough that you won't be able to find it, but that was our life growing up. We we had two things that we did. We played soccer, and we made weird online YouTube projects, hoping that we could build these fun communities. So, as soon as we ran that campaign with this, this gaming community, and we... We saw how much it meant to everyone to sort of come together. Mm. We were like, okay, this is something that we're really excited. This is an application of what we have been building over the last three months that we were really excited about. And so then right after that, we got up to Collider. We spoke to Alan Jones and Alan was like, yep, you've found a really interesting market. You're clearly passionate about it. Um, and so he pushed us in that direction. But what he also pushed us to think about was, well, what is the actual root problem you're addressing? Mm. And that's not just that which th- is
0: not necessarily selling merchandise.
1: Exactly. That the root problem we're addressing is that there's a community of people online who want to feel the same sense of togetherness and belonging that a sports team's audience would feel. This true sense of being engaged under this brand and feeling like a, a community. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were really addressing with our merchandise. And so, he told us from the beginning, look, you're selling merchandise now and you should continue doing that and you should continue making money, but you've got to know that that is what you're actually doing. You're helping online communities become more engaged, passionate communities. And so, from that first meeting, our mindset switched to not only how do we continue to scale this merchandise company, but what can we do to tackle that root problem that's not just the single solution we were, we were doing at the time of merchandise.
0: So if I can, I want to do this almost as a series of puddle jumps. We start off with this idea of the software that's going to help the team organizers, right? Which then becomes the branded sort of sports merchandise for the teams, which now becomes how do we increase engagement with teams who are mostly online? So there's a through line here, right? Right but the way that it's manifesting in terms of a product keeps on evolving?
2: Yeah, because I'd say they're more sidesteps rather than complete changes of business or whatever. Um, I think Dan and I in some way are quite impatient with the way we go about (laughs) things. And um, we see an idea and we really want to tackle that. And um, that's maybe one of our flaws, but maybe also one of our... um, greatest assets and that it lets us really um focus down on that one key problem we're tackling. Mm-hmm. And um I guess that's how we kind of transition between these we're
1: never we are never attached to a product. Yeah <laughs> we're 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 constantly trying to figure out how we can tackle that root problem better. Um and, and I feel like that's that's why we find it easy to take those side steps that Eddie mentioned. Because we're not attached to any sidestep.
0: Now, when by the time you finish at Collider and I go up to their demo day, you've now got something that's really quite different that you're pitching. So what are you pitching at the end of the Collider demo day?
1: Well, what we did in Collider alongside scaling merchandise was try out a bunch of tech experiments mm-hmm. with our because we what was great about selling merch is that we were working with really good streamers. So we could work alongside our our target market and try things. So we ran a few tech experiments, built little products that we thought could help them and that all culminated in us realizing that um, gamers online are really interested in driving uh, engagement in their community because when we'd work with gamers with massive audiences or work with gamers with small audiences, there was no correlation between that audience size and how much merch they would sell. The only variable that impacted how successful they were was how engaged their fan base was. So that sort of became our obsession is trying little things to help gamers tackle that engagement metric. And by the end of of Collider, we were pitching a platform that would help, essentially help gamers uh, quantify what their engagement was. And then create an incentive system to drive higher engagement in their community.
0: All right. So it's a, you're basically building, uh, in the same way we'd say growth hacking, this is engagement hacking. But for people who are do, are doing this because they need this in order to be able to, to have uh, engagement to create revenue because they're driving product sales, which is keeping them afloat.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I like the, the sort of juxtaposition of growth and engagement everyone in the, in the the content creation world is obsessed with growth they're obsessed with how many subscribers they have how many viewers they have what we're trying to push is that they should be obsessed with engagement it doesn't matter how many but if they have a really engaged passionate community online they'll be more successful when they sell merch they'll be more successful talking to brands and we really by the end of collider we knew that that's what we had to try and tackle and so we had Then a fairly loose idea, I would say, of of a platform we could build to help gamers grow their engagement. That's sort of developed ever since that to where we are now.
0: And you you did do sort of as the first step, uh, I guess what you can say is a dashboard, an analytics platform that would give these folks all of these numbers that they could then use to help analyze this business. And you put it out there and you put it to them. And what did you learn from your potential clients about what you were giving them?
1: Um well we learned that giving people a bunch of numbers isn't entirely helpful particularly for people that aren't haven't been trained in how to use those numbers. Right. So we yeah you're right we we started off by by trying to tackle the problem by building an analytics pro- product that would help them better understand their engagement and the, and therefore we thought address their engagement
0: right which you know if you're a CMO that's exactly what yeah. you want to see right but if you're a streamer on YouTube
1: Exactly. It's funny. The one, the one person that we trialed the product with that actually enjoyed it was like a like a head of marketing <laughs> as her sort of other job. Right. Everyone else was like, "Oh, that's cool." There's yep. There's some numbers. <laughs> Uh, then okay and then it just fell flat
0: and so 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 it's this disconnect as it was in the beginning where you built the product and the market just isn't able to connect with the product even though the market needs your product Mm -hmm. you've now got another product that you know could connect but the audience you're trying to connect with isn't sophisticated enough in some ways to be able to use the product
1: yeah look that's i don't want to sound like patronizing or condescending but Essentially, that was the issue.
0: But it's not, I don't mean sophisticated in the sense that they're stupid, right? But yeah. I mean, uh, uh, a CMO has years of experience on how to put these metrics to work. And if you hand someone metrics and they don't know how to make th- anything of them, they're going to like, oh, pretty numbers. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so you know, this—I mean, there's another landing pad. It's like, all right, maybe this is not the right landing pad, but that sets you up now for the current version of TribeFire. So, how do you get from that—that that sort of middle pad of the analytics into what you're doing now? How are you driving engagement now?
1: Yeah. So we looked at the technology we would built to to build that analytics platform, and essentially the, the most valuable piece of technology that we've built is Uh, a piece of tech that's able to monitor and analyze a community on, on Twitch and discord. So important gaming platforms Mm. and measure and rank every single member of that community based on how they engage, they are with the community. So we knew that that was a really powerful piece of tech because we can tell a streamer, you know, who are your most engaged fans? Who are your fans that are starting to become more engaged? So, what we've done over the last month is create an application for that insight. And Trifire XP allows content creators, particularly gaming content creators, to uh, to measure and then incentivize engagement through a currency that we've created. So our, our, our technology ranks and measures how engaged a fan is and then rewards them a currency every day based on how engaged they are. So what we're trying to get at is now we allow gamers to really reward their fans for being engaged, passionate members of the community in a, in, a, in a very physical, literal way, in that we give them currency that they're then able to spend.
0: And this, again, you've just brought this out, right? So now you're you're in that interesting period of, okay, we've got this, we're giving it to the streamers, we think they want it, but now you're about to actually learn how much they're going to be able to take it up again, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was actually kind of obvious in how, in the lack of <laughs> position in that I just pitched the platform in that, yeah, we literally launched our platform three days ago now. Um, and we are under no illusion that what we've done is solve the problem. This we It's just a continued journey that we've been on since we first met you in that we keep sidestepping and hopefully each sidestep goes slightly forward as well towards fixing this root problem and addressing engagement for gamers and we're really excited about what we're doing now but we know we're going to learn a lot over the next month
2: two months
0: and eddie you're still doing merchandise fulfillment aren't you
2: um so actually that part of things has actually settled down a bit more now
0: right so are Um, you trying to shut it down or is it just sort of bringing in an income so you're going to leave it the way it is
2: so essentially we cut the majority of our stores, and are focused on uh, key stores that you know sell the most amount, and mm-hmm. also focusing on really limited edition campaigns rather than you know keeping stores open indefinitely. So
0: something that really feeds back into engagement, because limited edition is again one of those things that feeds
2: engagement. Definitely, yeah. We found that um, stores that have run this these limited campaigns actually do better because fans, you know, really want those limited edition items. They want to be the ones who you know have the first addition of um, this streamer's product. And um, yeah, so it, both sides, merch and our um, platform are, are linked in that way.
0: Right. But there's this beautiful through line, which is that you've never really cut the cord on the thing that's actually bringing in some income, which, you know, as an entrepreneur, I think is probably also wise.
2: Um, I guess Stan and I have also been quite, you know, reven- revenue driven throughout this whole process as well. And... um we've always kind of kept that going to you know kind of help offset our burn as well as just being a good kind of constant um steady kind of cash flow to to keep us secure in a way yeah. you know
0: all right What we're going to do is we're going to put a marker here, and we're going to come back and check in 18 months. And we're going to see just as long as it's been since you've been started. And we're going to see whether TriFire XP was the landing pad or whether there are several more in the future. (laughs) And, Eddie, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia.
1: All right, Mark. Thanks so much for having us. Been great.
0: Launch Festival is one of the greatest tech startup conferences in Silicon Valley. Now, in 2018, they hosted their first ever overseas conference here in Sydney, bringing 10 tech leaders and investors to present on various topics, ranging from fundraising to scaling your startup to finding product market fit and much more. In June 2019, they'll be back to host their second launch festival in Sydney, and they're giving away the first 1,000 tickets for free to founders so apply for your pass here before they're gone at launchfestivalsydney.com/slash-founders-pass. when I reached out to Daniel and Eddie and asked them to come on the show, they were, they were very surprised. And I think quite hesitant because they don't really feel like they've done anything worth talking about yet. And I I had to go to them and and say to them, look at your story is the story of every startup. It's all messy and we're feeling our way and we're trying our best to be able to learn. And we We don't know if success is going to happen. We don't know if we're landing in the right spot. But you can tell from what they've done and what the best entrepreneurs do is that every time they land on a product, they do their best to learn from that product, to learn from their own customers, to learn from themselves, and then move forward and pivot into the next place they need to be along their journey. And they have become really good at that. Every time they pivot, they get to something that's a clearer vision of what they know they want to do, which is to actually build these tribes, to increase engagement in communities. And I don't think there's any sense that they are failing at that, it's just that they're refining and learning more and refining, even as this market is also growing up around them at the same time. And God forbid, if Tribe Fire doesn't make it, if they get to the end of the rope and they decide that they are it's not quite there, that's not going to be the end of the game because they have been so open, they have been so teachable, and they've made such good connections that the next time they have a great idea, and these guys have great ideas, the door is going to be open to them, that all of this are steps along a journey, and it's the journey of an entrepreneur. Big thanks to Twister sponsors Pitney Bowes and Launch Sydney. Their support makes our podcast possible. Thanks to the studio at Windyard Green for providing the amazing facility where we record this week in Startups Australia. It's the place for creative tech. Find out more at thestudio.org.au. Thanks to Daniel Palmer and Eddie Wang for taking the time to come on our show. Now, last year, we rebuilt and relaunched our website at twistartupsaus.com it's got everything it's got all the shows all the interviews all the photos all the links to all the stories so check it out at twi startupsaus.com we'll be taking a bit of a break for the Easter holidays but we'll be back soon in conversation with Stone & Chalk Managing Director Alex Scandera talking through one of the toughest topics in startup land founder well-being and mental health you won't want to miss that Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.